Hello and welcome to B2B Revenue Leaders. I'm your host, Dustin Tizik. This podcast is brought to you by Testimonial Hero. The old customer content playbook is just really out of date. So case studies aren't read, reviews are always gamed. Testimonial Hero creates strategic video testimonials for you to use throughout your entire buyer's journey. It's time to update your playbook. Today, I'm joined by Chip House, who is the CMO at Insightly. We talk about how to stay scrappy and curious when you're in a space with giant competitors, why speed is so important, how to think through your go-to-market, and how you can leverage Nearbound to grow your business. Hey, Chip, welcome to the show. Hey, Dustin, great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining me. So we're going to be talking about all things marketing here, really, but mostly around how to stay scrappy and curious in a space where you're going against honestly, gargantuan competitors and how to stand out and your approach there. So let's start there, right? Like for people who don't know, you're at Insightly in the CRM space. I'm sure people know a couple of CRM players that are are quite large. So how how are you thinking about marketing to stand out in a space like that? I know that's a broad question, but let's start there. No, I mean, there's a couple of things. I mean, so we've had a CRM in market for about 11 years ourselves and, and started very much kind of self-serve product-led growth back in about 2009. And so serving the small business and so highly integrated with Google and, and Chrome and things like that. And that's how people, you know, got access to our CRM initially. And then we did, you know, as the market, frankly, got more competitive and we've got, you know, we've had a free CRM in market for almost that entire time you know, we found that we needed to move much more to a platform approach. And so Mm -hmm. we added in a marketing automation tool, um, middleware, you know, which we call app connect that helps us connect to things like QuickBooks or, you know, NetSuite or PandaDoc or anything like that, that our customers want to integrate with their CRM because, you know, CRM is very much the focal point for a lot of different customer interactions. So of course you want to be able to connect all your tools and and then most recently we launched our service app. So, you know, and if you know the the competitor with the big huge blue cloud that you're talking about, you know, I actually worked I, I there a few years, yeah. right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and so you know they they clearly are somebody that we we go up against. And actually, we win business from them, and they yeah. take some business from us uh, as well. But it's an interesting space. There's like seventeen hundred some companies that claim to have. CRM capabilities and there's but mm-hmm. many fewer there uh, than that that there are, that are pure CRM plays with a, with a platform. But you know, a piece of it is is to look for the areas of weakness. I think in your competitors, yeah. right? So it's I think it's very possible to be to be scrappy and frankly just not be afraid to go head to head with your competition relative to you know, buying characteristics that your product has that the competitive one doesn't. And so in the case of legacy CRMs, you know, such as Salesforce, there's actually a lot to poke at, frankly. And this comes off of, you know, not even just our opinion, it's the opinion of 500 some go-to-market leaders that we researched uh, about a year and a half ago who said what they don't like about their CRM is it's too expensive, it's cost too much to maintain. It costs too much to integrate their software. It's maybe not sure it's flexible in the case of Salesforce, but it's not as flexible as they want it to be, you know, along with the price that they're paying. And so, you know, there's the you know, ease of use and ability to integrate and ability to have your CRM be flexible at a reasonable price is just a highly appealing things 
thing for a lot of companies. Salesforce is a great company. There's the old adage, nobody was fired for hiring IBM. And I think it sort of applies or people think it applies when they get to a company relative to Salesforce because it's what they know. But I think there's a little bit about that. That's Salesforce has kind of become who they started out trying to destroy, you know, the Oracle and the SAPs of the world, which had the expensive enterprise software. And in many ways, that's what they are now. Yeah, I like the focus there on the the weaknesses. And really, that's, you know, positioning, like where you're positioned in the market. And I know some people hear positioning, and they think messaging and get those two mixed up. But really, that's what you're looking for is those that spot you can fill that goes against the weaknesses. And I think so I came from a company as well in the internet space. We sold against Microsoft and then Facebook dipped their toe in that space. And similar thing, I'm not going to outspend them. Uh, it's just never yeah. going to happen. So you had to be faster. You had to be scrappier and go into channels they weren't doing or weren't doing well. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious on there on your your go to market then, like how do you figure out those channels that you think you can do well? And then how do you kind of put the pedal down a bit and accelerate on them once you see results? Yeah, well, it's it's really interesting when you have a, a company like Salesforce and, you know, increasingly HubSpot as well, because they're yeah. both brands are so well known and they've got a large amount of investment. So somebody searching for a CRM is likely going to also search for Salesforce. Somebody searching for marketing automation yeah. is also going to likely search for HubSpot. And, and so, you know, when we think about going to market, we're obviously wanting to be focused beyond just who's in market today, but also the 90, 95% of people that we want them to be aware of insightly when they come up for renewal on their current CRM contract. And one of the cool things that came up from our research is a lot of people are searching for a CRM all the time, right? I mean, the average tenure of a CRM is like three years or something. It's not as long as you would expect it to be in an organization with it being so pivotal. But you know, with that said, Our kind of ideal customer profile is in the mid-market, small to mid-market, you know, companies, 20 people to 250 is probably the core of our ICP. And, you know, so we're leveraging intent data and I think we're driving ads, both paid and organic inside of LinkedIn as our primary channel. And we learned from our own research internally that that's the number one social platform for our customers, and also for go-to-market leaders who are the primary decision makers in our product. And frankly, it's something I think that our competitors are not heavily focused on, at least our, our, our two top ones are not heavy, heavily focused on doing differentiated content, especially ungated thought leadership yeah. focused on pain points inside of, of LinkedIn. And that's kind of where we're focused it's why we started our own podcast called Closing Time, where we're focused on, you know, the needs of go-to-market leaders. How do you sell better? How do you manage your leads? How do you better manage your funnel? How do you think about customer retention? So it's, you know, it's fascinating, really. And because there's, there is, you know, when, when I think about any competitor, we, no matter what market you're in, there's probably some soft spot, you know, yeah. I, that your, your competitor has to poke at and we're figuring out how to poke at it. Yeah, it's kind of the fun, you know, sometimes you're probably cursing under your breath. Oh, I wish I had more budget to do this cool thing. But there is something fun to be scrappy and kind of go after and spot those opportunities. LinkedIn's an interesting one. I don't want to go too far down the attribution rabbit hole because you know that's a whole another discussion. 
Yeah, but yeah, we also that's one of our main go to markets now. Same thing. We have a targeted niche, actually almost the exact same market. You mm-hmm. do uh, slightly higher, like top end, I would say, but very, okay. very similar. So we upload a list running similar thought leadership content. And one of the challenges there we had is measuring the success of it. And, you know, we do it a little bit through self-reported attribution and other avenues. But I'm curious how you think about that and really measure how well LinkedIn is working. Yeah, we do self-reported attribution as well, and that's proven really successful for us. And we also, there's a big chunk of our go-to-market where we know the domains that we're targeting. And so then we used post-analysis to determine how many of those domains actually engage and become part of our pipeline and end up doing business with us over time. And so it's maybe not a direct A to B point, but we can kind of see how that business arrived at our website and why they ended up choosing us or at least adding us to the consideration set. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, you know, I, frankly, I I might be one of the marketers that's not so hung up in attribution, I think, because so much of it is about finding where your customers are and trying to demonstrate, you know, your differentiation and to, Mm -hmm. to try to show the unique brand value that you add to them. And so, but, you know, with that said, the how did you hear about us has been pro- has proven very interesting for us because we've learned what 20% of our business comes from word of mouth yeah, uh, and referrals from our customers. And another 7 to 10% comes from former users who now go to another company and choose that they want to bring insightly to that company. So I think both of those things speak volume to how well you treat your customers, right? And so I think mm-hmm. that I would recommend that to any marketer you're not doing that you're going to get a lot of value by adding sort of an open-ended how did you hear about this to our form your form and the fact that i think you're going to realize the benefit of the flywheel effect that's in place for how you actually treat your customers that's kind of invisible from attribution yeah the thing that kind of opened my eyes there as well is because google you do get that well in attribution software you get direct attribution Mm -hmm. but Last time I looked, I think it was like 60% of our Google leads, I'm using air quotes here, actually say, I'm a former customer. I saw a post on LinkedIn. I saw an ad. It's not really Google, but they're kind of getting misattributed there. And that helped us figure out where we can actually move spend to be more efficient and separate, you know, branded from non-branded campaigns and and how we manage all that. Um, I do want to go into a little bit the podcast because obviously we have a podcast as well. You're on it. And, you know, there is the play of getting that thought leader content, running it on LinkedIn ads to get in front of your audience. Some people do it as a content networking play as well to have their customers on or potential customers. I'm curious how that's all structured for you. Like, is it entirely thought leadership or what is the strategy kind of behind that? Yeah, I would say a lot of it is thought leadership, right? There's a little bit of the content that we do that I would consider be a little bit more product marketing or at least sort of, how would you say it, sort of industry marketing per se, where we're kind of trying to expand the awareness of CRM and the new capabilities of CRM. But a lot of it is thought leadership really targeted at helping go-to-market leaders do their job better, right? Mm -hmm. And so, but sort of the, the hidden strategy that's part of it is we're trying to engage thought leaders and influencers that already have the ears of our ICP and frankly, you know, borrow their audience a bit, if if you will, Mm -hmm. in the social channels and kind of leverage their influence to reach people that, you know, we otherwise would be unable to reach with some sort of branded or paid ad. 
Yeah, that's it's interesting. I Logan Lyles on the podcast a couple weeks ago talks a lot mm-hmm. about Nearbound and what he describing. I'm like, what he was describing is exactly what we do. I just never knew it had a name and strategy tied to it, which was, you know, Nearbound marketing, which is boring those audiences and kind of getting multiple magnets, so to speak, like, you know, getting other people to promote your content and working with them. Yeah. I think, you know, you've had some big names on the podcast and some pretty well known mm-hmm. people. And I think what people don't realize is a lot of times you just have to make the ask and people are incredibly willing, like they sometimes overcomplicate it and get in their own head. So is that what you found as well? Like you source the people you want and then any tricks to make the ask or is it as simple as that really? You know, I, honestly, when we were starting out, it was a little, little tougher. We had, we, because there was not the example of all the great content that we already had. Yeah. Right. And so we started out at actually doing some paid engagements to get some of our initial uh, influencers on the podcast. But once you have a product and you demonstrate quality and you're able to share that with the influencers that you reach out to, I mean, my ask record has been nearly a hundred percent just by, yeah. like you said, just making the ask. If you do it politely, you know, obviously, and you can demonstrate that, you know, what you're doing and you're, you're, you're focusing on content or quality mm-hmm. content, they're, they're more than happy to take part. Yeah, and I think the the other end of that as well, and I, I saw you have done this quite a bit, is and you're doing it right now, is going on other podcasts as well to yeah. borrow that audience, get your voice out there, honestly get content out of it because most podcasts will share the clips afterwards. So is that kind of the dual-pronged approach of, you know, you have your own, you bring people on, but is it an active strategy to reach out and be on other podcasts as well? It is. I've done a decent amount of uh, outreach, but frankly, there's a decent amount of inbound, so I don't have yeah. to spend much time... <laughs> focusing on outreach, you know, you know, as you've probably noticed, I mean, one, one of the byproducts of getting really active on LinkedIn, especially if you're in a CMO role and you control a budget mm-hmm. is I get a lot of people trying to sell me stuff, you know? And yeah. so I'm very actively engaged in filtering through what I, what I read and what I engage with, but I, I love to talk to people on podcasts. Absolutely. Cause I always almost learn something when I'm, when I'm talking to other smart marketers, you know? And so one of the things that dawned on me as I've thought about my career is where I, you know, I tend to gravitate towards companies that have a strong community, you know, of customers that mm-hmm. want to be a, a, around the brand. That was very true with the 12 years that I was at Exact Target, you know, and we, some of the most fun years that I've ever had as a marketer were building that brand, building that culture and launching some of our our customer events that started out at 500 and grew to 6,000 or so by the time we were acquired by Salesforce in 2013. And that flywheel effect, I'm going to use that term again, of, you know, having that kind of brand with your ideal customers who want to be around it, who want to, frankly, you're almost a byproduct. They're happy to wear the, you know, the Insightly shirt, but they want to engage with other users, other customers, and frankly, learn. Yeah. And I think that we only have a few minutes, so I don't want to have too much into alignment, but I think that's a big part of it is getting your whole go-to-market team fully aligned from sales to marketing to success to build that experience. And then it happens organically and you get the flywheel. Because I find too often, personally, marketers aren't involved much in the customer experience and customers are over here in CS and you can't really get to them. So I think that's where a lot of people miss out is that alignment can really throw a wrench in getting that community going, like you're saying. 
Yeah, I mean, I think marketers have to talk to customers. We, we My team leads our customer advisory board efforts, for example. We have our customer nice. advisory board here coming up this week, and we have a couple of customers presenting. And, you know, we, we're creating those connections and those learnings for customers, and they appreciate it. Yeah, no, 100%. And then I do want to dive into one one last thing here. So you mentioned being scrappy, trying new channels, diving down into them and focusing on them. I'm curious, what are you and maybe you don't want to go too deep into this, but what are you testing and trying now? Like what's an exciting channel or opportunity that you're seeing out there in marketing? We're doing a lot of different things always. Um, you know, one of the things I try to do, especially in a competitive environment is keep a bit of a sandbox budget. So I'm able to yeah. test something every quarter that I haven't done before. And so, you know, one of the things that we're doing is we've leaned heavily into our demo on demand, right? And so now I'm testing the landing page and the entrance to that, you know, do, what are there cases where we want to gate that actually, or do we yeah. want to leave it fully ungated for everybody? I think there's, there's some cost per lead channels that we're looking at and, and testing right now and actually getting some decent results out of, frankly, just, just asking for a basic amount of information for accessing a demo on demand and just trying to show the insight to a broader set of people that otherwise wouldn't see it. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting one, the gated versus ungated, because you're yeah. running, you know, obviously very ungated content plays in a lot of cases to mm -hmm. get your message and saturate your audience. But I I still think there is a place for some gated content. So it's interesting you're running those those tests to see how that all works out. Yeah, yeah, I think there's a, a place for gated content for sure. And, and whether or not you send it right to your SDR team is a different question, right? But being yeah, able to, you know, sort of, capture that desire to engage with your content is, 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 is important. What, whether or not that customer closes in 30 days or 300 days. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's nothing worse than, you know, gated piece of content and then SDR trying to sell you when you're not anywhere in market. <laughs> and I feel like we all did that for way too many years and hopefully learned from those mistakes. It's true. Well, I mean, you know, I mean, in the days where your, your budget is bottomless, you know, go ahead and yeah. try those things. But in the, in the days of scrappy frugal growth, you can't, you can't invest in that strategy. Yeah. hundred percent. And it's not 2021 anymore. This was a different year on the budget front. So gotta Entirely. be a scrappy. Gotta, gotta try <laughs> yeah. things. Hopefully 2024 is a bit better, but hopefully we learn from this year for next year. Yeah. It, it feels like, you know, the, the, the community is getting really supportive. I think I've in this yeah. last couple of years, I've felt more camaraderie and support and sort of like-mindedness from from marketers and CMOs than than ever, frankly, because I think we're all yeah. willing to share our bumps and bruises more than historically, you know. And you know, frankly, we're all coming away with a lot of the same scars. So the, the learnings are interesting. Yeah, no, hundred percent. I think there's a whole another discussion there on the community, and I mean, you reached out through through a Slack community to me, right? So yeah, th there's something entirely there. But I know we do have to wrap. So, Chip, if people want to learn more about you, connect, or learn about Insightly, where should they go? Yeah, for sure. If they want to learn about me, please yeah, check out my profile on LinkedIn. I'm on there a lot. You can check out more of my content, connect to some of the podcasts as well, or visit Insightly.com. Okay, awesome. Thanks so much. So we'll include those links. And Chip, thanks for joining me. Thanks, Dustin. Appreciate it. Thanks for joining me. My key takeaway here is really just how thoughtful Chip is about their go-to-market. 
So with Salesforce and HubSpot obviously being very well known, he realizes that if people are in market, they're just going to Google one of those two brands or both. So instead, he also focuses on the 95% of people who aren't in market. And instead of just picking a channel and going, he saw, you know, his ICP is small to mid market. Their main social platform is LinkedIn. So that's going to be their primary channel. And then since they aren't as large as some of their competitors and might not have as deep pockets, they're leveraging intent data on top of that to optimize their spend. So again, it's not just pick an audience, pick a channel and go. It's a well thought out go to market strategy. So thanks again for listening and I'll be back next Tuesday with a new episode.